Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. You guys, I'm so excited to be back. I cannot believe it has been so long since I've released an episode. Thanks for your patience. Okay, so here's here's what's been happening. I'm pregnant. Woo! So baby number three is on the way. I'm 14 weeks along right now, which means the baby's due in early March or, you know, late February. That would be fine. So I don't have to be pregnant as long. It's been such a crazy summer. If you had told me everything that was going to happen this spring and summer, I would have, I would have said, I can't, I can't do this. There's no way. But somehow, you know, it always seems impossible until it happens, until it's done, rather. I think that's a quote that somebody smart said. But um, it's been a crazy summer. It's been wonderful. I, I did the God's Adventure Await Summit, as you guys know, and I'm now teaching my True North Discernment course, which is like next level personalized. Really exciting to have 92 people moving through that from 13 different countries around the world. Absolutely loving teaching that True North course. And the God's Adventure Await Summit was amazing in late July. It featured 43 44 maybe speakers and um we also had a meet and greet with religious communities and mission organizations so there were 57 zoom calls that happened throughout the weekend that was amazingly successful we had so many young women and young men meeting these religious orders which is so cool because all of the conferences have been canceled for the summer so their opportunity to meet new aspirants and missionaries was also canceled so it was really cool to provide that forum So that's been happening. And to be honest, I was so nauseous all through the month of July, eating uncontrollably to try to keep myself afloat. So it's been it's been crazy. And I'm so glad that my exhaustion and my nausea is just I'm pulling through that a little bit now and it's it's lessening. So prayers for this pregnancy would be very much appreciated. I've heard it said that the more nauseous you are, the healthier your baby is. I don't know if that's true. I don't think it really is. But I'm going to count on that. So (laughs) I'm going to say that the suffering is all worth it. Um, But I know the suffering is worth it because it's going to be a really beautiful baby. And Zelly and Rafi are already so excited. Um, They think it's a baby Doral, whereas I think it's a baby boy. But I've been wrong both previous times. So they are very excited. Rafi's named the baby Lightbulb. And Zelly has named the baby Lulua. To me, it sounds a little Hawaiian. So, you know, we're just going to have a very international child here, slash named after an inanimate object. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) So that's my personal update. Lots and lots and lots going on. But I tell you, just hearing this intro music as I was recording tonight, I'm like, I have missed you guys so much. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you have been around for every episode, welcome back. So happy to have you. As always, you are so welcome to join my Patreon community if you would like monthly video chats with me and with our wonderful community. We have people who show up every time and I love them so much. They're so wonderful. So we have wonderful in-depth support for each other, which at this time, a virtual community, I feel is 
more important than ever, um, just because of the coronavirus and lockdown and everything. So um, feel free to come down and join us. You'll also get access to my secondary podcast called Coffee Sips, which is my faith and lifestyle show, mini-sodes of everything from fashion to um, my husband and I just did an episode about going through challenging times together as a couple aka my first trimester of this latest pregnancy and uh so there's just a smidgen of everything on there and you also get some extra perks if you join at the level of caffeinated champions which is ten dollars a month but membership starts at just five dollars a month so not a lot of dough and a lot of support and wonderful benefits so it helps support my ministry here with this podcast so if you'd like to think about it you could just uh you know discern joining um just go to patreon.com slash called and caffeinated i'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for you great so today's episode is with dominic albano i want to thank dominic in a very special way for his patience as i have struggled to find the time to put adequate time into really doing his interview justice um, he gave me so much of his time and his wisdom he wrote a book called the fundamental theory of happiness published by ascension press I'm really happy to let you guys know that if you use the code called you'll get 15 percent off when you order the book the 15 percent off does not give me any kind of a kickback or profit i'm just letting you know because i really want you to have the book and this is just something special that ascension is offering for you so this is not an affiliate program this is just you saving money from ascension you're welcome so use the link in the show notes in order to order the book use the code called 15 percent off saving money is one of my passions in life as you'll hear in the episode <laughs> so um, it's so worth the investment to go ahead and, and treat yourself to this book um, i feel like what we talk about in this interview we recorded all the way back on ash wednesday and we're, I'm finally just releasing it now, but I think what we talk about is more relevant now than ever because our world is going through so much. We've all been through so much this spring and this summer. I know a lot of young people are asking themselves, is this all there is? What am I doing with my life? Quarantine has been uh, an opportunity for a lot of people to really think deeply about your life. So this is such a timely, perfect, wonderful interview. And, um, and I just loved chatting with Dominic. So you're going to love it too. All right, let's get to it. Dominic, thank you so much for being my guest on Called and Caffeinated. Welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be on the show. Yeah, thank you. I just loved your book. Uh, we were talking off air a little bit about it, The Fundamental Theory of Happiness by Ascension, put out by Ascension Press. And I was so happy to get it in the mail. It's something really different. Um, and I just wanted to compliment you on taking on a huge topic, happiness, in your very first book ever, which I would have expected this to be your 10th book, but this is your first book, which is amazing. <laughs> um, and all my listeners should definitely check it out. But I am super excited to dive into this with you today. Um, so are you drinking any coffee? Are you a coffee drinker? I am a big coffee drinker and, um, I'm a little bit of a coffee snob. Yeah. You know, like all of us good millennials and, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I had to be up at, uh, three o'clock this morning because I was oh. being interviewed by the news for something starting at five. And so I've had a lot of coffee, <laughs> a lot of coffee this morning. We're going to be swinging from the chandeliers. It's going to be yeah. excellent. Yeah, it's awesome. going to be really exciting. <laughs> Are you a black coffee drinker? I am. Yeah, okay. strictly black coffee. What um, is, yeah, what is your coffee order if you're, if you're a, a coffee snob? What does that mean? Yeah, so, uh, you know, normally I, I brew myself, uh, you know, ideally with a French press, but, um, mm -hmm. but no, it's, it's going to be, you know, I, I grind it, grind it myself, brew nice. it myself. 
um, typically just like a Starbucks uh, Pike Place uh, mm-hmm. roast or espresso roast or whatever you know French roast. Italian roast is my favorite, but I but you know I'm I'm as long as it's a good whole bean, I'll I'll grind it myself. But then if mm-hmm. I'm going to Starbucks or something, I'm just getting the black. I'm just getting a, an order of black coffee. Sometimes I might get like a cafe misto, you know, the steamed milk or or nice. like a red eye if I'm if I'm real tired and I want that extra shot of espresso in there. So gotcha, intense. 135 yeah. degrees, ideally, you know, drinking temperature. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, All right. I don't know if I've literally. I don't. I don't think I've ever told anyone before. <laughs> the ideal temperature. Like, I don't know that my wife, (laughs) I've ever told the ideal temperature of my coffee drink. And now you and all of your listeners are going to know it. So I'm actually a little embarrassed right now. That's so funny. No, it's great. It's this podcast is all about discernment. And, you know, I appreciate anyone who approaches coffee with a discerning eye and a discerning palate and a Mm -hmm. discerning heart. We went, I think (laughs) Father Mike Schmitz and I talked about his coffee order for a solid seven minutes at the beginning of the show. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we we went down that rabbit hole. So I appreciate (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. That's great. No, I'm in good company. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, So, Dominic, what calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what did receiving those calls look and feel like? What a great question, because like on a certain level you know, God called me to wake up this morning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. every, you know, who, I think there was some, I think it's a saint quote, but there, you know, this idea of like every next breath, uh, we, we, we take every next breath because God called us to do it. And, um, I like that idea, but I, I like the idea too, of these specific calls, right. Being a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm a father to, uh, um, four boys, um, Oh, God bless. Age, yeah, all under the age of 11. So obviously called to be a husband, right? My, mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I were high school sweethearts. So that was, um, you know, shortly after we started dating. I mean, by, by like my freshman year of college, it was, you know, I was still like discerning, but I, it wasn't just like I felt called to be married. It was like I feel called to be married to this person. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that really came from you know, uh, really came from like, I, I felt like she made me such a better person. And especially in my freshman year of, of college thinking like, I can't imagine pursuing holiness without having this person by my side. Hmm. So that seemed like a really good reason for us to get married. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's a, that's a dang good one. Yeah. 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 So, uh, that's kind of what that call like looked like, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking about like, what did those calls look and feel like, you know, when it comes to like, being a dad, what's interesting about that is, is it was it was just such strong desire. I don't know if there was ever like a are we called to be parents? It just it just was like uh, assumed, right? Like we just mm-hmm. assumed we were called to be parents, mm-hmm. um, and then you, you get pregnant. Say that, yeah, you say that when you take your wedding vows. You know, right. they ask you, oh, "Will you welcome children?" And so there is. Def- if you haven't talked about children before you get married, there's something very wrong. <laughs> or if you're if you're yeah. not thinking that's going to be part of the picture, then you really that is something pretty. You need to talk about it. Yeah. 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 I'd I'd say it's actually, what's interesting is, you know, people always ask you to like how many kids you're going to have. And we never had a number. We like, it just never entered into our conversation or Mm -hmm. our like Mm -hmm. thoughts. But I will say it's more interesting now as we enter into like our late thirties or mid to late thirties. And, um, after having, 
um, Ezra was the first time where it was like, oh, okay, I don't, we don't necessarily desire to like have another kid or at least not right now. And that, that was the first time we ever felt that way. And so now there is much more of like a, you know, every time we've had a kid, it's just like, all right, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep having kids. And, mm-hmm. and for the first time in our lives now, you know, you actually have to discern um, call versus desire, which I think that's what, what all mm-hmm. of this really comes down. What discernment really comes down to is what do I want to do versus what does God want me to do? Mm-hmm. And, and a recognition that like happiness is ultimately going to be found in what God wants me to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so now it's like, okay, well, before I think God always wanted me to be a, a, a parent and in a specific way to, you know, to get pregnant and, um, and that aligned with my desire. So that's great. Uh, but it always comes into, you know, that always like the, the rubber hits the road when it's like, okay, does it align with my desire? Mm-hmm. I used to give a friend of mine a hard time in high school because whenever he felt like he, you know, was attracted to a girl, he would tell me that, you know, he really felt like God was calling him to date her. And then once they were dating and he didn't feel like as attracted to her anymore and he wanted to break up with her, he'd always say like, oh, I really feel like God's calling me to break up with her. And I just pointed out, it's funny how God's, God's calls really align with what you want. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, so I've had this theory since I discerned religious life, which I don't think you'll find in the catechism, but it just seems to be it seems it it hasn't yet been disproven, but it seems to me that at the deepest level, God's calls, God's will is in fact it does align with our will. It's just that it doesn't always appear to in that moment, and so it's it's aligning it's aligning your will with God's, and then you find out that He in fact does because He does want you to be happy. His His will is the deepest desire in your heart. The, the problem yes. is that you don't necessarily know what your deepest desire is. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. whether when you're talking about the true deepest desires about holiness and happiness, mm-hmm. um, which are, I, I think the two things we were made for, uh, you know, God wants us to be holy and he wants us to be happy. Mm. And we are, are like are ordered towards those things like by our creation. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'd a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about feeling called to marry your wife because I, it's such a huge area of stress. Um, this question of right. how am I going to know who I'm called to marry? And yeah. I like that you mentioned that you couldn't imagine pursuing holiness without her. And the reason I, the reason I like that is because it seems like you guys just went along, you just dated, you did your thing. And then at a certain point, you just looked at the alternative of, okay, if she's out of my life, this is what my life looks like. With her in my life, this is what my life looks like. And it just was obvious. There wasn't like a, you, you weren't trying to put the, the cart before the horse. You weren't, right. it was just, okay, you know, the alternative is she's in my life, she's out of my life. Well, the choice is easy, you know, because you just kind of went along and you dated and you just let, you just let things progress as, it, as they progress instead of stressing out too much about the question. Um, yeah, I do think we, I think we really overcomplicate, um, (laughs) discernment specifically in the area of who am I supposed to marry? Right. Because Mm -hmm. we just take a very like a 2020 approach, right. To that discernment where it's like, man, Mm -hmm. could you imagine people asking the questions we ask in the 1950s (laughs) or in the 1900s or the 1850s or God forbid when there was like arranged marriages, right? Like Mm -hmm. the point is like, you know, man and women were created to be together, right? Like that's the God, God designed us that way. And, um, you know, I, 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 I think there's, 
I think a practical and simple approach to whether or not the person I'm dating is someone I should be married to just, just keep it very simple. Mm -hmm. Desire is not the only thing, right. But that's certainly like a part of it. And then beyond that, like, you know, just, you know what it's like to be married. Like everything changes, everything Mm -hmm. changes. The the ongoing choices are so important. And I find that with the, with choosing to love my husband, it's like, I I promise to love him. And so we're going to continue to choose this in this moment. And we've already gone through so many transitions together. Um, And for someone who's not married, this might sound a little overwhelming to be like, everything's going to change, but. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Sounds really dramatic. What am I promising? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think it comes down to this and you know i'm no expert in it but this is what i i consider like the most romantic um and powerful and uh simple way to say like well should i be you know is god calling me to marry this person yes or no Mm -hmm. um is not like are they worthy of my choice from now until the day i die but do they view me as worthy of their choice mm. from now until the day I die? Mm-hmm. Because as long as you're marrying someone who's like, yeah, who, who shares that, that value, right? That like, I'm going to choose to love you no matter what from now mm. until the day I die. Like we always think about that as like the one way street from us to them, but this other person is choosing, it views you worthy of that choice. Right. Mm. And, and I don't mean to, to sound like in a way that's like settling, you know, but like mm-hmm. that is so, romantic and beautiful right like to mm-hmm. just step back for a minute it's like oh this person wants to marry me this person mm-hmm. thinks i'm worthy of that of of that choice from now until the day they die like mm-hmm. yeah if somebody if you get to a point in a relationship where someone views you that way that's that's pretty amazing um mm-hmm. and you know not you know and then it's you know do you do you feel the same so mm-hmm. yeah and as long as you keep giving that to each other as long as you keep yeah. using that i i firmly believe there's nothing that can make your marriage fail as long as you keep choosing to love each other um and keep choosing to put the other person first as long as it's mutual you know yeah yeah, yeah. amen so let's talk about your book this is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> great so uh one I, I was reading it and there was something you wrote which comes up as a recurring theme in this podcast um so yeah. it, what there's a million quotable quotes in your book but uh one of them that i loved was if you're not happy before you do something or have something you will not be happy after you do something or have it what so yeah. what is the yeah <laughs> good stuff what does the life of a fundamentally happy person look like you know, I, yeah, this quote's in there, right? If you're not happy before you have or do something, you'll not be happy after you have it or do it. I just think it's it's a recognition of of a very human thing, which is like we are always looking ahead and we're always looking forward and we're always looking for something else. Mm-hmm. And we always think that thing ahead or that thing that is forward or that something else that we will have or do will finally make us happy, right? Mm-hmm. You can express that idea in a thousand different ways, right? One of the more popular ones is the God-shaped hole, right? We all have this mm-hmm. God-shaped hole in our hearts and we throw in there all these different things trying to fulfill this, you know, trying to fill this void. Mm-hmm. However you want to like call it, right? It's just recognition of this truth. I think I put in the book, um, you know, the story of my son, you know, my son was like, you know, basically you know, he loved, I think he was like six or seven or eight at the time. And he like loved baseball and he loved Legos and he loved like video games. And we had this conversation. It's like, how much would it take for you to be happy forever? Hmm. And he, he kind of 
realize like, you know, that it's, it, he can't, it's ultimately not going to make him, these things aren't ultimately going to make him happy. And I think when you ask this question of what is the fundamentally happy person look like one, th- you know, there's, there's a lot of different aspects to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the idea of not wanting is, is a big thing, right? Like being, being totally satisfied, um, and happy with things as they are and not as not, not with this like chunk missing of, Oh, I wish they were some other way. Mm-hmm. That's certainly a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard it described as happiness is wanting what you have. Would yeah. You- another, another area we tangibly experience with is money or need to make like another dime. And then you get that and you're like, Oh, if I just made like 80,000, if I just made 80,000, I'd be able to do all the things that I ever want to do. And you make that and you're like, Oh, I just need like a hundred thousand. If I just mm-hmm. make a hundred thousand dollars, if I just make six figures, I'd never need another dime. And the truth is like, no matter how much you make, you'll, you'll find ways to spend it and mm-hmm. you'll never feel like it's enough, you know? And yeah. that's true. If you're making 50 grand a year, if you're making 500 grand a year, if you're like a, you know, you got $5 billion, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you you know, that's just another area. Enough enough is a word that is a lie in and of itself. I like Mm -hmm. there's because there is never enough. It doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it it doesn't, no amount of having or doing will, will achieve enough. So, uh, Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. For, so I I know in writing your book, you, interviewed and observed a lot of fundamentally happy people as you described. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do they, um, how do they move about their day, which is different than the fundamentally unhappy people? Yeah. I I just think as I, as I looked at at the world around me, there was just certain people that I could observe that I began calling fundamentally happy people that, uh, and I think we all have this, right? Like people in our lives that if, and if you, if any one of your listeners, you stop and you really think about it, make a list, like people who just, seem like they're living life to the beat of a different drum, right? That they mm-hmm. have things figured out that the rest of us don't, you know, don't understand that, that their life just seems to work mm-hmm. or that, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, things don't seem to bother them the same way they bother other people. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to describe it. And I think there's, there's a certain level of like, it's intangible and it's probably a little different for all of them. But, uh, when I looked at this group of people, part of, what I wanted to do for this book was like take the happiest people that I knew and figure out like what makes them, um, you know, what, what, what is it that gives them this kind of different way of doing life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for some of them, it was uh, just their daily habits of, of prayer or attending mass or the way that they raise their kids or um, just their general outlook on life. Like certain people that I was like, man, they just never seem like they're having a bad day. You know, Mm -hmm. and I have bad days. Why the heck don't they ever have bad days? What are they doing that I'm not doing? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you you know, there's, there's lots of different examples of that. Right. Mm -hmm. I I remember reading in, um, uh, what's the title of the book? It's by, uh, it's by, um, Cardinal Dolan. Um, and, it's the it's the layperson version of priest for the third millennium, and I'm just I'm blanking on the title of the book. But anyways, I, he writes I know this, that one. Okay, uh, it's a great book. Great book. I'll uh, look it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Please yeah. do. I think it's called Called and Gifted. I just googled it. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, called and Gifted. That's for the not third hard millennium. to remember because Called and Caffeinated is pretty similar. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> the caffeine is a gift. So 
There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's called and gifted. Okay. Um, but it's definitely by Cardinal Dolan. Um, but he tells a story of this, of this, uh, you know, cancer patient terminally ill being taken care of by, um, sisters of charity. He's on his deathbed and, you know, he experienced is not Catholic. Um, definitely living a life very far, um, from the church, but, um, but converts basically on his deathbed because he looks at these nuns and is like, what do they have that I don't have? Right. Like they're doing the worst possible work anyone can do. And they're like joyful about it. Like they must have something that I don't have. Mm. And, and so that that's his version, right. Of recognizing that, like the, these fundamentally happy people. And so, yeah, I mean, part of the book was wanting to figure out what makes them tick. Part of it was wanting to look at reputable, um, uh, evidence-based research around happiness. What is, what is just like the secular world recognize as truth about happiness and how does all of that like point us back to God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you're pointing out in there is, is starting with that dis- dissatisfaction, which is the first step to becoming fundamentally happy as you wrote in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's such a great, thing to examine. I, I certainly notice that there are a lot of people around me. I'm, you know, a young parent and friends with a lot of other young parents who are starting their life. And I remember also when I was single, just kind of asking like the question, is this all there is? Which yeah. is sounds like such a spoiled question to ask. And in a way it probably is um, <laughs> because we certainly have our needs provided for. But I think you kind of can sometimes get into a rut just asking yourself, okay, I'm supposedly living the dream but is this all there is and that's a really good that's a really good starting place we have we have like in american society we have like ruined our kids (laughs) and and the and we were and we were ruined too because the truth is we raise children here uh in a way that conditions us for this um this uh this idea that what we have or do is going to make us happy right because Mm. We start mm-hmm. at a very young age, like we, we, and, and I'm not even saying like, I'm, I'm raising my kids the same way. Okay. So I, I'm not condemning it in the sense of like, I don't have a better way proposed, but right. Like mm-hmm. our entire lives until we hit about like 30, 35 are all about what's next, right? It's mm-hmm. all about, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're born and you go to school and it's like, well, starting in grade school, you start thinking about middle school, and then you start thinking about mm-hmm. high school, and then you start thinking college, about college, resume, you start thinking about getting a job, and then you start thinking about getting married, then you start thinking about having kids, then you start mm-hmm. thinking about like your career, you know, really, really getting somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And that takes you till you're about like 30, you know, ish, right? For most people, for most people, it might be 40, right? But like, let's give mm-hmm. it a 15 year period of 27 to 43 where you're in this period where you're like, okay, 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 okay. I graduated, right? I did that. I graduated mm-hmm. and I got married and I'm ha- I had the kids and I've got the job and I've got, I've got money now. And, um, what's next? What mm-hmm. am I supposed to, what am I? Now, some people get really good at like, um, you know, developing a career trajectory that always gives them a what's next, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, and they're, they're like, well, there's, they don't get to ever ask the question of what's next until they're finally like the CEO of some, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation. So they always have that like built in. But I think for a lot of people, you get to this place where you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I did all the things they said I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And now what? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I think when you get there, 
you know, that's where you you're confronted with this idea of like, oh yeah, like the the I'm never like what's next is not going to make me happy, right? Mm-hmm. Like if that's what I you know, going mm-hmm. back to that idea of like having and doing, mm-hmm. if that's what I was always searching, like if if the answer is just this this roller coaster of okay, I guess I, I'm supposed to make more money and take more extravagant vacations and drive nicer cars and have more kids, I guess, you know, it's mm-hmm. like at a certain point it just the merry-go-round breaks down. Mm, yes. And so I have to, I have to search for this other way. And this other mm-hmm. way is, is just being dissatisfied with the things the world tells us we're supposed to have or do. Mm. And that's, that's, you know, not my original thought. That's like a C.S. Lewis thing, right? He's got that, this great idea of, you know, that, that at the end of our lives, God, you know, God doesn't find that most of us wanted too much, but finds that we wanted far too little. Right. And he's got that, that quote about we're like children playing in the mud, making mud pies who can't imagine how great it is to have a a holiday at sea, you know? Yes. That Um, is such a wonderful quote. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think this is one of those areas where our faith if we don't make it beyond a, like a confirmation level of um, of education and Catholicism, it it mm-hmm. this doesn't. We can call ourselves Catholic. We can go to mass every Sunday, and yet we can still live exactly as the world is telling us we should be living and wanting all the things that the world tells us that we want. This is one of those areas of deeper conversion that I absolutely. Um, you know, it's, you have to like, really, you have to really dig into it. Um, because it's not, it's not obvious. Um, and this is, but yeah. I think it's one of those areas where if you really do dig into it and find the answer in your faith, it's, it's going to transform everything. And I'm, I'm thinking of Pier Giorgio Frassati. Um, I don't know if you know that much about his life, but he was a total baller. He oh, was, yeah. yeah, he was, so he died at age, I think 24. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, 23, 24, yeah. Yep, never figured out what his vocation was. He brought a couple of girls home to meet his family, but he never, like, didn't, you know, never figured out what, what's coming next, what his, what his family's, uh, sorry, what his vocation is. Um, and so he, he wasn't following that trajectory of what the world says, you know. And he also, I think he, he maybe just finished his education right before he died. Um, but he was living very backwards according to what, uh, what American society would tell us is yeah. good because he was spending his money and his resources and his time and his energy visiting poor people, um, encouraging his friends uh, to go to, to adoration. He would like, I think he would have contests and if he won, then everybody had to go to adoration for an hour, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. And he was doing things that were not what the world says you should be doing, but, but doing the right things. Like he already had that focus of understanding none of this stuff is really going to make me happy. I'm just going to love God with my whole heart now. And sometimes that's going to mean sacrificing what's the more practical thing. For example, I think he gave, and I'm not saying that everybody is called to do this, but I think he gave his, he basically gave all his money away. He didn't have any money by the time he he would do it all the time. He Mm -hmm. would just see someone who didn't have a coat and he would like give them the coat off his back with no Mm -hmm. thought of like, where am I going to get another coat? Or okay. what if I'm cold? He would just do it, right? Or he'd show mm-hmm. up at home sometimes without shoes for the same reason. He'd see someone mm. who needed a pair of shoes yeah. and he'd give them their shoes. And, right. I, and I think a cynical person could say, well, he knew he came from a wealthy family and so could just go get more. But I, I really think like he was just living in the moment, you know? He was just and thinking saying, with a kingdom mindset. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if I, if I die in five minutes, guess what? I don't need this coat anymore. <laughs> you exactly. know, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I think living yeah, with, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Just living with that kind of a mindset is always mm-hmm. going to look so bizarre to the world. Yeah. You know? Right. And him of all people, he would have been conditioned for success because his father oh, yeah. was the editor of a highly successful newspaper and yep. he li- he grew up in a very wealthy home. Um, and he was also conditioned to not take his faith seriously um, because he, he used to always say his grace for meals outside the door because his father didn't want him to. And so, mm-hmm. but he would always take those five seconds, you know, not five seconds, but you know, 30 seconds, a one minute or whatever, they'd hear his footsteps coming up to the door and then he'd stop for about 30 seconds to say grace before he actually came in the room. So he, he just, there, there was a lot of resistance against him pursuing holiness in a way that um, maybe was, it wouldn't be obvious to, to the rest of us. But once you read about his life, it was amazing. And then who yeah. came to his funeral? Apparently the church was like packed with people that he had been helping. And yeah. he kind of went around in disguise, um, not exactly disguise, but he just wouldn't tell people who he was and he would just come and help them. And, and they yeah. all showed up to his funeral. Yeah, like um, and so what a testament showed up, right? That's yeah. Yeah. Amazing. What a, an amazing by age 24, like <laughs> what an amazing testament to who he was and to his values that he lived out. Um, and it wasn't, you know, his, his, um, his money didn't show up at his funeral and his status didn't show up at his funeral. You know, it was the people that he had helps. And, and I think that's such a great question or great thing to take to prayer is like, who, who would show up at my funeral? <laughs> yeah. yeah Boom, no it's, it's Ash Wednesday. We're just laying it on. <laughs> hey, the church has never been shy about reminding people that like, you're going to have a last day. <laughs> you're yeah. like, that, that's a reality. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, what's that last day going to look like? And what's it going to look like? Yeah. What's your funeral going to look like? I love mm-hmm. that scene in, um, uh, the movie Castaway. Whenever I mean, yes. just not that this is a podcast where we want to talk about Tom Hanks movies, but you know, oh, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> there's this great scene in that where right after he's 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 found, right? He's he's picked up and he's mm-hmm. on the plane and he's flying back, you know, for his big unveiling after he's you know Tom Hanks's character has been you know on this de- deserted island for whatever it's a couple years, and um, his best friend's like, we had a funeral for you. And he asks, mm-hmm. like, you had a funeral for me. Like, what did you put in the coffin? And he starts talking, the guy starts talking about the stuff they put in his coffin. You know, oh, you know, because we didn't have a body. We just put stuff in your coffin. You know, I think we put in like a beeper and <laughs> we put in some like Elvis CDs and we put in a hat for the Rangers and you can just see, mm-hmm. uh, you can just see Tom Hanks' character where like, there's like, this subtle but but profound sadness in his mm. facial expression at like, oh, this is what my life was. This is what was mm. like the people closest to me said, oh, this is what his life was all about. This is what we would put in his coffin. Here's another good one for your your um for you and for your listeners. Just the other day I was riding with my boys in the car and I don't know where it came from. It just kind of came out of nowhere, but I asked the 10-year-old, I said, Anthony, if you we're talking to someone and they didn't know our family at all. Like they didn't know anything about us. And they were just like, Hey, like, like, tell me about your family. Like what's, give me like three words. What's your family all about? What's your family Mm -hmm. about? What three words would you use? And I asked my son that, and I thought, man, that's another good, you want, you want some like truth that will cut to your core. Mm -hmm. Ask your, ask your kid that Mm -hmm. I'm very happy to report that he said, God, the Chicago Cubs, and family were his three things that he said. And I felt real good about that. Yeah. I was like, great. Slam dunk. Just, 
Yeah. I, we, as long as we stick to those three, I'm, I'm okay. We're doing something uh, right. We're doing, we're doing something right. Hopefully uh, with the family slightly before the Cubs, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, at least God was first. I'll take God being first, you know. Can you just briefly explain the five levels of perception and what it means to live at the deepest level of perception? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, uh, so the five levels of perception are basically just, it, it gets at that, you know, some people, it seems like they're living life on a different level, right? We say mm-hmm. this, we just use this, oh, they just seem like they're, they're living life differently or they're at a different level than the rest of us. Um, what does that actually mean? How do we react to the world around us? And how does it, how does it have an impact on our own experience of life? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a way to organize thoughts around what you choose to react to because we can't choose um, much in life, but we do choose how we react to things. Um, You know, uh, there was another saint who talked about like uh, the difference between harm and pain. He said, anyone can cause you pain because that's physical. Nobody can uh, cause you harm because the only thing that harms you is being separated from God. And only you can choose Mm. to separate yourself from God. Mm. And I, I, you know, like that's, that that's just such a beautiful way to put like we we choose our our reactions right and so we can't control the things around us but we choose how we react so that's what the the five levels of perception are all about so quickly there um we the the surface level the most surface level is the effects right just the you look at the you look at the world around you and you just see what's going on and you're very reactive to what's going on around you Drama. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, drama, right? Drama. And some mm-hmm. people love living at that level. Crisis, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crisis, et cetera. Right. So the, the next level deeper is effect, uh, is, is cause, right? You have effects, and what is the cause of those effects? And that gets a little bit below the surface. Okay, what's, what's really going on here? Um, you know, the, the, the example I use in the book is like, my wife's mad at me is the, is the effect. Okay. Why, why, why is she mad at me? That's the cause, right. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I mean that to be a little, a little humorous, but for any of the dads out there, they, they definitely know what I'm, they know uh-huh. the experience, right? Okay. What, what, what did I do? Uh, so then <laughs> a little deeper than the cause is the circumstance, right? Okay. What is, you know, what are the surrounding, um, uh, you know, issues, the circumstances around the cause. Okay. So if, if the effect is my wife's mad at me and the cause is, Oh, I got home late, late from work. All right. What are the circumstances? Okay. And I, I might say to her, Oh honey, there was, there was traffic on the interstate and my boss was a jerk and made me stay late. And Mm. I might talk about the circumstances, uh, trying to get her, trying to justify the cause or the effect, right? I see. Um, so, so when you say uh, like a victim of circumstance, that's exactly, kind of exactly, exactly what that means. Okay. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, we, we do this all the time, right? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm home late. I'm tired. I'm, and it's all because of this, right? We, we justify the effects or the causes that we're responding to. That's why. <laughs> living at this level of circumstance, yes, right? Our choices. That, yeah. That's, that's why I was uh, late for this call. Cause my, yeah. my computer took 15 minutes to boot up. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, and that's, we tend, we tend to live either here. So this is where most people you're either living at the level of circumstance or one level deeper, which is intentions, right? Mm-hmm. And intentions are one level de- deeper than the circumstances. It's here that we say, we usually judge other people by what they do. So up on the levels of like cause and effect, but mm-hmm. we judge ourselves 
by our intentions, right? So if, mm. if something goes wrong, we say, I didn't mean for that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's like, uh, we see this with our kids a lot. They, they screw something up and they say, well, I didn't mean for that to happen. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. But still you didn't do actual, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you didn't do the things, you know, that would have prevented that. Right. So, um, again, going back to my example, the effect is my wife's angry. The cause is, you know, I came home really from work. The circumstances are my boss is a jerk. Uh, the intention, right? If I get to the intention, sometimes this diffuses, can diffuse everything, right? Because if, uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, that's what I'm going to say to my wife is, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be home late. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now my wife, if she is living at this level might say, ah, I, I know, you know, uh, like if I'm home late from work, there's, it, you know, she can live like that's the effect, right? That's, that's like the circumstance she's experiencing. That's this shallower level. And she can be angry about that. If she's living at this level of intention, she might say, Oh, Dominic's home late from work. He never means to be late, uh, you know, home late. He knows it's important to me that he's home on time when I, I hope he's okay. I hope something didn't happen. Um, I wonder if there's traffic. I wonder if, right. And it changes her whole experience, right? If mm-hmm. she's living at the level of intention, Mm-hmm. It, it it changes her whole experience. And then of course my whole experience, cause she's not as angry when I get home. Mm-hmm. I didn't care, you know, to use your example, you were on like a couple minutes late. I didn't care. You know, like I wasn't mm-hmm. worried about that. I wasn't mm-hmm. sitting around saying, Oh, what, what's going on? Uh, because I assume good intentions about you. And here's, mm-hmm. here's where I always bring up. Like there's, it used to be, you know, 50 years ago, Catholics would talk about this all the time and it's kind of fallen out of vogue, but I think it's really important to get back into it, um, which is that the church, it used to be viewed as Christian duty to assume the good intentions of the people around you. Mm. And I think this, this is, I tried to fill the books with stuff like this. Like if you just took away this one thing mm. and changed just this one way you live, it would have a profound impact on your life. I wanted there to be hundreds of things like that in the book, just so that it really was a life-changing read for people. Mm-hmm. And this is an example of one of those. You know, I use, I use um, the example in the book of like, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, uh, you can flip, you can get angry about that. You can flip in the bird. You can say, what a jerk. But if you knew that the person in front of you was, you know, had their wife in the front seat, she was in labor. It's, it's 10 weeks premature. He's got to get to the hospital as quick as he can, life mm-hmm. depending on it. You'd pull out of the way, right? You'd pull to the side. You'd put your flashers on. You'd, you'd say a prayer for them, right? Mm. The only thing that changes about this whole circumstance is what you assume about the other person. Mm. And we ha- that's 100% our choice. We can assume they have good intentions or we can assume they have bad intentions. And if we assume they have good intentions, we will just, you just will live a happier life. Like that's just a reality. So, um, you know, assuming good intentions about the people around you, it's, it, you, we used to teach it as Christian duty. We don't teach that anymore. We absolutely um, need to get back to that. And then I've been talking a long time, the fifth level, the deepest oh, level. This is good. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. The fi- you can edit it out if you'd like. <laughs> the fifth no, level, the deepest great. level is purpose, right? That mm-hmm. um, I, you know, who, what, who am I made to be and what am I made to made for? Who is the other person? What are they made for? If mm-hmm. I'm living at that level um, or just, you know, what's my relationship to another person? Again, going, you know, going to the example of my wife, if I'm living at the level of purpose, 
um, and I'm saying, you know, oh, my wife's mad at me, but I go, you know, hon, I'm sorry. You know, it's important. I'm your husband. It's important for you to be able to um, depend on me and to feel protected by me. And part of that, you know, making you feel safe is that you knowing that you can really rely on me, that if I say something, that it's going to happen. And, and so I'm sorry that I wasn't home late. I should have, you know, and really, if I'm living at the level of purpose, that means three hours ahead of time, I'm going to call her and I'm going to tell her why, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to readjust the expectations. So yeah. um, there's like a domino effect, right? If you're living at the level of purpose, you never even get to some of these effects mm. um, mm -hmm. because you know, there's like a preventative nature around that. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, yeah. but the, the world is always trying to draw us to the level of effect. It's always trying to draw us to the shallow and God mm -hmm. exists and we exist. Like we are happiest at the deeper levels, right? Living at this level mm -hmm. of purpose of who am, who, who am I? Am I living out who I am and what am I meant to do? And am, am I doing what God has created me to do when we're there? right? That's when we're the happiest. Mm, yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, a lot of that cut really deep with the situation that I am currently in with this. So I'm a, I'm a one woman show and, yeah. uh, and there's a vendor of mine in Texas or contractor, whatever you want to call her, who's refusing to pay me. Mm. And it's been three months of emails and so forth. And, you know, as I'm talking with my husband, well, what do I do? You know, my, my legal options for pursuing this are limited. And, you know, are, are we just going to let her break this contract and get away with it? And that's kind of living at the the, you know, there is an injustice there and it's living at the level of effect. Um, and yep. or, or maybe um, circumstance, but it's not living at the level of intention or purpose. And, yeah. you know, and my husband is very wise and he was advising me. He was like, you know, the basically don't let this, this circumstance or this effect um, ruin your deeper purpose, purpose, like, if she breaks this contract, you know, in God's wisdom and God's kingdom and his justice, it will be, it will be paid for. It will be taken care of. Basically you're, you're in the better position. If you are, um, if you're looking at your purpose and you allow someone to do an injustice to you like that, because you're living out your, you're living out your purpose instead of going for the effect. You're looking at what am I supposed to be doing in this world? Who am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to behave? And as long as I'm behaving with character in every one of my interactions toward her, it's, I can have peace regardless yeah. of what actually happened. Absolutely. And within that, like we are not called as Christians to be doormats either, right? Like justice right. is just as much a part of the gospel as mm -hmm. mercy. And getting paid won't make you happy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's so good. So, so talking about our purpose, living at, living at the level of purpose, um, you wrote in your book, we define everything in the world by its purpose except ourselves. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I, um, I was praying one night and I was alone. And, I, you, you know, this kind of stuff, right? This stuff you write about, it does come from your it comes from your wounds, right? It comes from the places mm -hmm. where like life has been difficult. And so none of this stuff just comes from nowhere. Right. So I, I mm -hmm. you know, this was a long time ago, but I was sitting in my uh, prayer chair uh, in my living mm -hmm. room and I was alone and I was, I was just praying about life and like who I was and what I was meant to do with my life. And I don't remember the exact circumstances that I was praying about, but I remember I was looking at, you know, it's kind of an epiphany moment. I was looking at this clock on the wall and it's my, my wife, it belonged to my wife's grandmother. We had a very close relationship with her, very holy woman. 
And it's one of those, it's, it's got like the octagonal wood face, you know, and then the, mm-hmm. the chime hangs underneath and it swings back and forth. And, um, it was dead, right? Like it just needed batteries. Um, but I'm looking at it and I started thinking about the fact that like, it's not working, right? Like it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Mm. And it's not it had so, one like, job. It had one job <laughs> to tell the time and it's not telling the time. Uh, but that didn't stop it from being a clock, right? Like if somebody, you know, was an idiot and they're in my living room and they're like, what's that? <laughs> I'd still say it's a clock, right? I would describe mm-hmm. it as it's a clock. I would never point at it and say, oh, that's like a set of gears and turning dials that has uh, these, you know, knobs and levers on it that if they spin a certain way and, and it aligned to these different numbers, I can tell you uh, what time it is. I would just say it's a clock it tells time, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I would define it by its purpose, right? Its purpose mm-hmm. is to tell time. And even if it was broken, I would say that's what it was. Even if um, it was a painting of a clock, <laughs> you know, I would mm-hmm. say, oh, that's a clock, you know, it, even if it's a, I'd say, oh, that's a clock. So this idea that like we define everything in life by its purpose, by what it's supposed to do, right? By, mm-hmm. by, by why it exists. Mm. But we don't do that ourselves. When someone says, who are you? Mm. I say, I list off all the features, right? I say, Mm. oh, this, well, the first thing we love to say is what our job is, right? Like Mm -hmm. the point is we describe all the things that can be changed. You know, Mm. it doesn't matter if you're pointing at a clock like my grandmother's or like one that you'd picture in like a school classroom or a digital alarm clock on your bedside table. All of those are clocks, right? And if Mm. someone said, what's that? You'd say a clock. What's that? You'd say a clock. What's that? You'd say a clock. Uh, but for ourselves as individuals, we try to, you know, you say, well, who are you? And we try to answer it by these real, you know, oh, this is my job and this is my name and this is where I live. And this is like who I'm a fan of in sports. And this is okay. You know, all this stuff that really can go away, right? Like it, it all is, it doesn't actually describe who we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's like someone saying, uh, what is that? And you're saying, well, it's a series of turning dials and knobs and switches and numbers and blah, blah. You know, it's all of that stuff that is secondary to our purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think this idea of we defining everything in the world by its purpose except ourselves gets, gets at the point that there is something deeper than what we look like and how much we weigh and how smart we are and how much money we make and what kind of car we drive and what, where we live and all, the, all these other features that we tend to define ourselves by that ultimately can be, you know, stripped away, you know, very quickly. You know, as I started thinking through like this question of how we define ourselves, I started asking, you know, uh, the fundamentally happy who we mentioned earlier. And, um, this one lunch, I had lunch with this guy, his name was John. Um, and I, I started asking him, you know, um, you know, really this, this idea of like, yeah, I started talking to him about all this and, and this idea had occurred to me that like, okay, if, if we have a purpose, if there's something we're made for, obviously like the Christian goes right to, okay, what, what did God create me for? Right? Like, why did he make me? What am I supposed to do with my life? What is that purpose? Mm-hmm. And he told me this story um, that really changed the way I thought about that question. Mm. I think even in discernment, right? To your idea of, of like discernment, you know, so much of it is like, God, what do you want me to do? Right? Like, that's what we're trying Mm -hmm. to figure out. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, God made me for a purpose. What is it? Um, And he told me the story and and 
you know, it was about his son. His son was an adult. Um, he's actually a little older than me um, at the time we were having this conversation. But he just remembered when his son was really young. Uh, he was maybe seven or eight years old. And they were at like Thanksgiving dinner. And John's older sister um, uh, was there and with her husband. And John's older sister was talking to um, their mom. And the mom was getting on her about when is she going to have kids? How come her and her husband don't have kids? And mm-hmm. and um, and the, the this John's sister, you know, was talking about how how happy they are without kids and how they're able to travel. And they neither one of them has had to sacrifice their careers. You know, and this was twenty years ago. This is a very common conversation today. It wasn't mm-hmm. as common, you know, back in the nineties when this conversation was happening. But it was very similar to a conversation here today. And what what happened was John's son heard his aunt, right? John's sister having this conversation. And so that night, um, John's putting his son to bed and John's son is like really upset. And he's like, dad, why did you have me? And John's kind of like, where, you know, seven, eight year old son's asking this. He's like, where's this coming from? And, um, and, and the son goes and like recounts this conversation that he overheard. And he's like, I don't do anything for you and mom. Like, do I really make life that much more difficult for you? Like, why, why did you have me? And, mm. um, you know, he, he told me just like one, like how heartbroken he was, right. For like his, his mm. seven year old in that moment. Right. It's just like, you, you have your kid ask you this like heartbreaking question. Um, but, but he, he said, you know, he, he told his son, like, I didn't have you to do anything for your mom or me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not why we had you. It wasn't to like achieve something or to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, I just loved, I love your mom a lot. And, uh, and you were born out of that love. Mm-hmm. And, and he, and he told me the story and he said, you know, I think you're asking, you're like asking God, like, why did you have me? What do I do for you? What am I supposed to do? How do I make your life better? Right? Like some version of that question. And John said to me, like, I don't think God has, I don't think God creates us so that we can do something. Mm. Like, I think he just loves us. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that was like, oh, it, it's, it's one of those things that I think you can, I think this is true about a lot of stuff in the spiritual life, which is, you can tell someone something and then, and then God, who is truth, right? Jesus called himself the truth truth you can encounter a truth and that's what i think when when the church speaks about like encountering god right like an encounter with jesus like i think that's what it is right it's when it's when a truth about our faith goes from your head to your heart when you actually encounter in a way that that you know it's it's like that teenager who their whole lives has been told that god loves them and then they go on a retreat and they're like oh my gosh god loves me and you're like, yeah, I know you've been told that a thousand times. You're mm-hmm. like, that's what an encounter with God really is. And, and for me, that was one of those encounter moments, right? Like I could have told you in an intellectual way that God created us to be loved by him, but mm-hmm. it was the first time I actually encountered that truth mm-hmm. in, a, in a personal and powerful way. I totally hear you. Yeah. There's something about being told you're a child of God, but that doesn't, you're like, what does that mean? What does that really yeah. mean? I'm made in God's image. Okay, what does that really mean? Yeah. And, um, it means that you are effortlessly lovable. Yeah. Without having to, and I realized this when I was 
trying, I was doing my hair, I was getting ready for a speaking engagement. And you know, as a woman, you're expected to put in effort to your appearance, you're expected to do your hair and do your makeup, then I'm very happy to do those things. And so I was doing them. And I was just kind of asking my heart, like, what is it that you really want? And my heart just came back and was like, I just want to be effortlessly lovable. Mm. I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to put on makeup or do my hair or do anything to be lovable. Like I want people to just want to be in relationship with me. Yeah. And, and then I think all of the history of our, you know, of our faith and all the tradition and the scripture just came right back around and was like, wait a minute, you are effortlessly lovable. You didn't do anything to get yourself here and you are effortlessly without putting in any effort of your own. You're made in the image of love himself. That's awesome. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Effortlessly oh lovable. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. It is. We all, we all have some version of that, right? We all have, mm-hmm. I like, in my speaking, I like to talk about how, um, you know, the devil is the father of lies, right? Like that's a title we have for him and he tells us lies, mm-hmm. right? And the lie is always around the idea that you're not lovable, right? Yes. That's something about you. Mm -hmm. makes you unlovable and you have to achieve, you have to achieve love, right? That's, Mm. that's, that is the central lie. Now he's diabolical, diabolical in that he customizes that, right? Like he customizes the lie uh, individually Mm -hmm. to every one of us, you know? So when my parents were, got divorced when I was nine, I learned that I was not loved. I was not chosen Mm -hmm. and I was alone, right? That's how he customized that, that, Mm -hmm. that lie that I'm unlovable to me, right? Was through Mm -hmm. those three things. And so, you know, even today, you know, we never really lose those lies, but God wants to speak truth into them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, even today, like if I get in a fight with my wife, right, what is the fear that shoots through me? Like, oh, you know, I'm unloved, you know, right? she doesn't really mm-hmm. love me. Why are we having this fight? I'm not chosen. She doesn't really want me. I'm not good enough. I'm alone. She's going to leave me, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And you have, to, you have to battle that, right? To live, to be fundamentally happy right? You have to recognize those. You have to encounter them in a, in a, in a very deep and personal way, recognize mm-hmm. that they're lies, encounter the truth, uh, know that, that you're loved by God, live at that level of your purpose, that you're God's beloved son, and that these, these lies are just mm-hmm. what they are. You know, mm-hmm. they are lies. Yeah. And, and you can't do that unless you know what God is actually saying about you, yeah. which is something that I think, <laughs> I don't know about your background, but for me, I was never, I never grew up reading the Bible or memorizing scripture or any of that. I was a good little Catholic girl. (laughs) (laughs) And so the lies of the devil seemed so real because I, I had nothing to replace them with. I I had no proof or no words coming from God that really spoke to me to tell me who I actually am to him. Mm. Um, And when you read the Bible, it's all in there. It's all God defending his people, being a good dad, getting him out of getting his, you know, the Israelites out of Egypt, getting his children out and giving them the promised land and affirming them over and over again and bearing with them and all of their sins. And when you, when you really look at the truth and start to let it seep into your head and your heart and, and really, um, chew on that and process that, um, then you have something to fight the devil with. And then you have yeah. something with which to combat the lies. And, and you brought up in your book too, it's so important to have silence and that mm. you, we're not going to know our purpose without silence. And I, you also rightly pointed out in the book that it's never going to have, like, it's never going to be something that people are going to be like, oh, good job. You, you spent your 15 minutes meditating today. Oh my gosh, great job. <laughs> That's yeah. never going to be because you go on Instagram and, you know, as like a, a mompreneur, I get all of these ads of these 
these other entrepreneurs or whatever trying to get me to sign up for their course. And the message is always, you got to hustle, you got to work smarter, you got to be more productive, you got to be reaching more clients, blah, blah, blah. And so no one's going to be like, oh, good job for not doing anything. (laughs) Yeah, silence is not profitable in the eyes of the world. Exactly. And that's so important to point out because I know so many people who are, who feel guilty when they don't do something that's productive or when they do something that's unproductive. Um, and I mean, somehow it's easy to justify like, Oh, I'm just vegging out, like, you know, watching Netflix, but spending actual time in, in profitable silence, which is, you know, time with the Lord is, is, um, somehow the devil makes it look like it's wasting time, but it's not. (laughs) So it's not funny how that works. Oh yeah. And Mm -hmm. like, I think that, that I think we get caught up even within our prayer, right. Of like, well, have I, what have I done? What have I achieved mm-hmm. during my prayer? You know, mm-hmm. am I reading? Have I read all the, the spiritual books that everyone else has read? Am I as contemplative as everyone else is? Have I said mm-hmm. the right words? Have I avoided distraction enough? And it's just, what if you just sit there and you really were convinced of the idea that God loves you effortlessly, right? Effortlessly mm-hmm. loves you. And that prayer is not a, uh, is not a productivity tool. You know, that it is not, you cannot have productive or more productive or less productive prayer, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a little countercultural. It's a little, you know, like, I do think we want to avoid a distraction, but I also, um, you know, I, I just think if you, I think that prayer and silence is much more about what God wants to do than what, what we want to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's tempting to walk away from my prayer time and be like, I didn't get anything out of it. I don't yeah. feel, I don't feel any different. But when I think about my playtime with my children, because they're toddlers, they're not in school or anything. And I just think about like, what did I do with them today? And the measure of whether or not we had a good day is really just, did, did we have good, fun, peaceful time together? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was a good day. There was no purpose of like, did they learn, you know, their, their ABCs? And did we work on the colors, uh, learning all the colors and the animal sounds? It's like, I don't approach my relationship with my children that way or my husband either. Um, you know, did yeah. we... Did we meet our quota of hours spent together this year, you know, of date nights? And it's like, no, that you're missing the purpose. The purpose of a date night is to spend time together and to just deepen your relationship. It's not yeah. to check off any, <laughs> any quotas. Now, that being said, I find that we do have to be very intentional about scheduling a date night. We have to say, I will, I am planning, I'm setting aside this time to spend with you because I know that my life is going to get busy and that I'm going to, um, if we're not careful, a whole month is just going to get away from us and we're not going to have, you know, a date. So scheduling that time is important. But once you get to that time, the purpose isn't to accomplish something. It's just to be with him. (laughs) Right. And, and, uh, and it's so true that, um, you know, that we can sometimes treat our relationship with God that way. Um, Yeah. So, oh man, Uh, one of my, just one of my favorite quotes from your book um, is about the permanent principle. And I had never thought about this before. So you wrote that um, any aspect of your life is related to your purpose in direct relation to its permanence. Yeah. It's a little wordy, isn't it? it, Yeah. It takes a minute. It takes a minute, especially, you know, for those of us who aren't um, audio, audio, that's not a word. Um, (laughs) What's the word? Oral. A, yes, A-U-R-A-L, yeah. yeah. Uh, for those of us who aren't oral learners, um, I'll just say it again. Any aspect of your life is related to your purpose in direct relation to its permanence. 
So what does that mean? And how does it inform how we should be living? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, as, as complicated as the sentence is, and that is the uh, least complicated way I could figure to express it in one sentence. The idea is pretty simple. Describe yourself or take the labels you would place upon yourself. The more permanent something is, the more directly related to your purpose it is. Mm. So I am an employee uh, at X company, okay? Mm. Well, uh, I am married to this person. 10 years from now, I may or may not be, uh, or uh, let's say a better example, even the marriage. Let's say I am this person, I'm Anthony's dad, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, 10 years from now, I might not be an employee where I am now. You know, that could be a reality. But no matter what, 10 years from now, I will be Anthony's dad, right? Like that, even if I am dead, that relationship doesn't change. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it is permanent, right? Mm -hmm. 50 years I'm after, after I'm dead, Anthony will say, oh, my dad is, and he'll say my name, right? Like that relationship will still exist. It will change in the fact of whether or not I can speak to him and how, how I interact with him. It can even change to the extent of, how close our relationship is and, uh, you know, are we fighting? Are we speaking? Are we not? Mm. Um, but, and it's not biological, right? Like being that, that relationship is uh, biological, but you know, it, it, anyone who has had estranged parents or they're adopted also knows that being mm -hmm. a parent is not um, strictly biological. Uh, but actually, yeah, actually a, an interesting point that I found out pretty recently about Roman society is that if you adopted a child, that was a permanent choice that was irrevocable whereas yeah. for what I, I don't know if that means that you could abandon your biological children legally but i know that that um, when saint paul talks about a spirit of adoption what he means mm. is complete permanence that was the most secure way of assuring a child's future was to adopt him so isn't that interesting that is um, that is really mm -hmm. interesting yeah yeah so an yeah, adopted so just, parent was considered even more of a parent than a biological parent which is crazy that's awesome mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah when you when you you know you think about the permanent principle the idea the idea is just look at your life. What is permanent? What is not permanent? Mm -hmm. The permanent things are the things that really have, um, uh, that really have to do with who you are. So if you're really trying to discover your purpose, discover what you were made for, you know, what, what God created, why God created you look to the permanent things. Of course, what is the most permanent thing is our relationship with God, right? Mm -hmm. Everything else has some level of impermanence. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, our bodies are going to change our, our, our bodies are going to physically decay and die, right? Like that aspect of our life mm -hmm. is not permanent emotionally. <laughs> well, we all, most of us are emotional train wrecks that can't hold, that can't hold an emotion from one minute to the next. So that's definitely, <laughs> that's definitely not, you know, a way that we can, um, you know, there's no permanence there. Mm -hmm. Our intellectual life is constantly changing. Our relationships, you know, are, are, they can come and go friendships, you know, somebody you're friends with one year, you're not friends with the next year, you move that sort of thing. But there's certain things about our lives that are more permanent than others. And our relationship with our kids, our relationship with our spouse uh, are certainly high up there. Mm -hmm. uh, but our relationship with God, of course, is, is the pinnacle. And so mm -hmm. you can almost kind of reverse engineer what, what are you called to? by the by these permanent relationships and so mm. it's like what are you ultimately called to you're ultimately called to be a child of god right like that's mm. where we're at. and then for me in particular it's like all right well let's continue to peel back the layers it's like 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm this, this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a father, right? Like that's the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then I'm, I'm a husband, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married, I'm a husband, right? Like that's pretty permanent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can kind of, you can, you can almost like continue to pull back after that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I, if I define myself by my job and how much money I make, you know, I'm going to be in real trouble because those things are, those things can change so easily. And you Absolutely. do see this, right? Oh, like, yes. I, oh, yes. I, I, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people who, you know, they define themselves by their title or how much money they make or where they live. And those things change and they are mm. just, you know, cast into the wind in terms yeah. of their, their, it, you know, uh, how they feel about themselves and about their life because the things they were clinging to have all of a sudden changed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I certainly remember the vivid, vividly the years of my life where what I weighed was the measure of whether or not I was good enough. And that was my, my whole purpose was to be under, you know, X number of pounds. And, and certainly I see that with, um, with other people around me too, you know, because, because I speak about self-image, I I have a lot of people who open up to me about their self-image issues. And I know it's a big problem for, for many women of, if I look this, if I look this age, I'll be happy. And if I weigh this amount, I'll be happy. And once I get to my goal weight, I'll be happy. And that's, um, that's living at the very low level of permanence. Like yeah. that could change any, you know, any time. And that could certainly change you. You're, you know, if you got a car, in a car accident, you could lose both your legs. And so yep. uh, you know, is that, is your happiness dependent on that? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and certainly just and men struggle to- with that too. Of course, you know, don't, yeah. you don't ever think, um, don't ever think you guys are alone in that, that, you know, I, uh, you know, there's plenty of men who, yeah, they're, um, are losing their hair seems to be a big thing for guys. Is that true? <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, uh-huh. I'm 35. Okay. And I, I, I'm not, I, I, I mean not to boast, but I have a fairly <laughs> luscious head of hair. <laughs> and I can say this because you have no idea how many grown men, my friends, right. Friends of mine who will just look at me and be like, Oh God, I wish I had your hair. <laughs> that is, is so, hilarious. It is so bizarre, right? It is so bizarre, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, whether it's hair loss or weight, yeah. um, you know, mm-hmm. I think that the thing that especially married men struggle with when it comes to sexuality is, is all about like, am I desired by my wife? Like I think mm-hmm. a lot of men have that as their, and that's like the root like question. Right. And mm-hmm. so, Mm-hmm. For some, it's like, am I funny enough? For some, is it, do I make enough money? Uh, for, but I, I do think for a lot, it's how much do I weigh and how do I, mm-hmm. how do I look to them physically? It could be performance related, but like mm-hmm. the root of it is like, does, you know, I think women want to be loved and men want to be desired in, the, in, mm-hmm. in some sense. And um, it, speaking in very broad strokes and very crude terms, right? But men, sure. men struggle with those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, as well, just in different ways. Yeah, it's been really inspiring to me to watch my dad go through chemotherapy. He just finished yesterday, actually. Mm. His hair is gone. And it's been really inspiring to watch him just lose his hair and be poked with needles and go through so yeah. much change and transformation. And he didn't have that much hair left to begin with, but it doesn't bother him to lose the rest of it. He just yeah. he calls himself Uncle Fester now um, <laughs> and and he does it doesn't seem to bother it, you know he it really genuinely doesn't seem to bother him 
Uh, so it's it's so interesting when we're living out of our purpose, and we talked about Pier Giorgio Frassati and how he he was living for that purpose, which doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. But he was doing the reverse engineering thing that you're talking about, where he started with being a child of God. What does that mean? I'm going to live that out, and then let the rest follow. Yeah. Um, and and certainly, um, th- I love that you provide some a lot of scientific research in your book as well. And there was this one part where uh, you talked about a study that said that I think they research about 1500 people and they found that the more you go to church, the happier you are. So what, how did they find that out? I want to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. I I do want people to know. um, I always like telling people this, uh, my wife, so my wife has her PhD in neuroscience. Okay. And so when I was setting out to write this book, um, I think there's, there's just a lot of like false, like everyone's an expert on happiness and there's like studies about it. And so I, mm-hmm. I kind of charged her, you know, who she does research for a living. Uh, I was like, I want reputable studies. Uh, I, I want mm-hmm. evidence-based research from reputable institutions about mm-hmm. happiness. I don't want uncle Bob's house of learning where at Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner, he asked all his friends and family about what it means to be happy. Right? Like, I don't want that. Uh-huh. I want like Oxford and Princeton yeah. and MIT. And so, I think, I think, uh, remembering off the top of my head, I think this was a Princeton study, might've been Stanford. Um, but they were, um, looking at people's habits and they were asking people, um, they would ask people like, uh, they'd ask like, so like with this study in particular with going to church, right. They would go to these different churches and, um, ask people as they were coming out, uh, if they, if their happiness levels were, um, if they were happier, uh, as happy, you know, as they were going in or like less happy. And mm-hmm. they would ask that for people coming out of the gym and they would ask that for people coming out of, um, the movie theater and they like all these different activities. And, um, one of the activities that, that was the highest on the list, right? So mm-hmm. people, you know, would 76%, you know, I, I don't have the, the, the study in front of me, but it's all in the book. Um, you know, let's say it was 50% of people coming out of the movie theater said that they were happier. Mm. you know, coming out than they were going in or mm. 78% of people, um, you know, <laughs> leaving the gym were happier leaving than when they were going in. Right. Mm. Um, and it like, but the highest percentage, you know, the highest percentage of, re- of reported feelings of increased happiness, right. That's what it was. The reported feeling increased happiness mm-hmm. was people going, uh, was from people going to church mm. and that, mm. that when they were leaving the church, they were, they reported being happier than, than, um, having not gone. Mm. And, you know, so that was the number uh, amongst all of these things that you probably want to do. Like that was the number one thing. Mm. And I just think there's something like, like human beings, we're not all as different as we'd like to think that we are. <laughs> Get a good night's sleep, read, go to mass, like, you know, call your mom and talk to her for 20 minutes on your way home. Like you just do these little things. Mm-hmm. It's going to make you happy. And <laughs> church is one of those things that I wish more people just, mm-hmm. If you go, you're going to be happy away. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. make you, it's, it's going to make you happier than if you don't do it. And it's the easy, it's one of the easiest things you can do. Just mm. show up, go to church, sit there, leave, you know, mm. it requires next to nothing of you um, as compared to, you know, a lot of the other stuff. So, yeah, totally. And there's, um, it, it's funny as you're talking about this, I was thinking just about all the, the masses that I've been to that where the music is terrible or no. the homily is uninspiring or the priest, you know, it's a daily mass and the priest just skips a homily entirely or whatever, or the readings no. just happen to be, 
you know, like Jesus' genealogy that day or something where you're like, oh boy, okay, all the names. No. That's all we're getting for the readings today is names. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's not even about that. It's not even about the excellence of the preaching or any of that. It's, although that certainly helps to create a transformative experience and it's very important, but, but it's just the fact of putting yourself in God's presence. Um, and, and, uh, and, and the fact that you are returning to the sacrament and, um, and, yeah. and I think that's such an interesting statistic because what, what is it? Something like 70% of Catholics don't even believe in the real presence. Right. Um, you know, what an amazing thing. And maybe this was a Christian study. Maybe this wasn't even Catholic specifically, but still there's a power of putting yourself in God's presence can do things for, for you uh, that yeah. you don't know what you're going to receive. Um, even if you know that that priest is going to give an uninspiring homily, you're still gaining so much from just putting yourself in some yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. I, I don't want to leave. We've talked about a lot of different theoretical things, and that is awesome. What should people who are listening to this, besides buying your book and reading it right now, which everyone should do, um, <laughs> what should people who want to be happier start doing right now after they listen to this podcast? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, the the... Yeah, I mean, buy the book, of course, <laughs> um, and listen to your podcast, which they're already doing. So they're well on their they're well on their way to like being happier. I I I would say, um, if I could if I could you know get people to do one thing, one thing that I think will increase their overall happiness and their experience of happiness and set them down on the on the path, you know, towards you know living that happier life, uh, just take. 10 minutes today and, and find some space and some time for silence and, mm. and just do that today. Um, and then do that tomorrow and then try to do that every day. I mean, I think that is one of those, one of those compounding things that if you just mm. do that, mm -hmm. it, it, it has a, a compounding benefit in many different areas of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, don't try to do anything during that silence. Let it be a total waste of time. You'll get distracted. I always just tell you people when, when you get distracted, when you're, when you're in silence, just focus on your breathing, count in for four, hold it for six, count out for eight. Um, and do that over and over again. When you get distracted, it just gives you something to focus on. That's very simple. And, um, try not to think about anything, try not to do anything. Uh, I even, I even, what I will try to do is like not you know, like is, is, is just focus on the breathing and pick something to stare at and like, don't move a muscle. Um, so you're literally trying to do as little as possible and just be in silence for 10 minutes. Mm. Uh, you do that. Uh, I think you'll be well on your way to happiness. Um, and there's a lot more, there's a lot more to that than you can do, but that's a good place yeah. to start. Love it. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dominic. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Um, I just want to encourage everyone to buy your book. And there is, uh, if you use the code called, um, you can yeah. click on the link in the show notes and get 15% off, which is amazing. I love a deal. And you, yeah. even if there wasn't a deal, done, I don't think they've ever done that. I've, really? I've done a few different like interviews ah. and I think you are the first that like your people are the first ever that are going to get um, this discount code. So that's pretty cool. That should uh, make everyone feel special. They are. You, <laughs> they should. They are special and they should feel special. So ascensionpress.com slash happiness. Mm -hmm. Very easy to remember. Ascensionpress.com slash happiness. Mm -hmm. When you check out online and you put in that word called and you get your discount. Uh, awesome. 
That should make you happy. Yeah, that that makes me happy. Saving money is one of my passions. (laughs) And saving money is so funny. I will I will drive. I will drive if I know that a mile down the road there's a gas station that is two cents cheaper per gallon. (laughs) I will drive a mile down the road to get to the other one. But if I'm at Target and I'm looking at like this, you know, whatever. And I look at, um, I look at my phone and I'm like, oh, well, this is 15 bucks cheaper on Amazon, uh, but I'm here now. I'll just buy it now. My, my like money saving desire just makes absolutely no sense, <laughs> uh, but people love saving money in general. And this is a way that you can save 15%. So mm-hmm, use mm-hmm. I always think it's funny. Um, cause I do the same thing, but then as I'm driving to the gas station, that's farther away, I'm like, you know what? I I'm burning all the, the gas. <laughs> The money, yeah. the gas money that I would have saved um, by going to the farther away gas station. So that's food for thought too. That's a nice little rabbit yeah. hole to let your mind go down. <laughs> well, thank you so very much. Um, what a wonderful chat. And I can't wait to get this out to my listeners. It's going to add a lot of value to their lives. So I want to thank you for all of your deep thought and your research and all the love that you poured into the fundamental theory of happiness and this podcast interview. Thanks so much. It was really yeah. a pleasure. Uh, I had a ton of fun. Awesome. This was awesome. I want to thank you once again so much for listening and tuning in today. It's such a pleasure to be with you. I feel like a kid in a candy store every time I get to release one of these episodes. So please, if you know someone who would like this episode, please feel free to let them know about it. I also love hearing from you guys. If you guys have any questions that you would like one of my expert guests to answer on the podcast about discerning a life choice, head on over to stacysummerow.com. Feel free to drop me a line. God bless you for these next two weeks. And, you know, I'm really, I'm praying for our country. I'm praying for everyone around the world who is lonely or in need of prayers. So just know that I'm holding you close in prayer. Cannot wait to see you around for another episode. God bless you guys. Bye.